Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Marcus Dillon. And this podcast is Who's Really the Boss, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome to Who's Really the Boss podcast. We have a special guest today, our friend and attorney, Brett Moyer. Welcome, Brett. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, Brett, will you give us yeah. a brief introduction? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. So I'm Brett Moyer with Moyer Lewis. We're a law firm located on the west side of Houston that really serves as a full service business law firm. Most of what I personally handle, though, is on the corporate side of things, corporate in nature from startup to shut down, um, everything from entity selection to, like I say, shutting it down. Um, for a lot of my clients, I look like general corporate counsel to them, where it's sort of high touch and similar to the way it is for you guys, where you're in constant contact with them or maybe more constant than they'd like, truthfully. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I do get referrals to help people who are seeking to buy or sell a business Maybe they've had an attorney like our firm for years, but handling them on day-to-day -day stuff, but they want to hire someone to help them get over the hump of that transaction. And I'm fortunate enough to have experience in that area through many years of practice. So um, I have a partner, Christy Lewis. She's a commercial litigator who deals with all sorts of business disputes. And then our firm also handles estate planning and probate services as well. Um, I grew up out here on the west side of town. As you can see behind me, went to Stratford High School around the street, was born at Memorial City Hospital this way and went to Stratford that way. So um, I then went to Baylor for undergrad before returning home to law school at the University of Houston. Um, so I've been practicing law since 2000. Uh, married, have two sons. One's uh, oldest is 22 and the youngest is 18. <laughs> so they're like old men now. Um, <laughs> and em empty nesters, uh, or is he a senior? It, he's a senior. But it's okay. it's coming. So yeah. We can definitely commiserate Crazy. with having yeah. a senior in the house and the ups and downs of daily life yeah. with having the teenagers still at home. All right, Marcus, you want to share a little Absolutely. bit about how we got to know Brett? Oh, Brett, um, man, I don't even know the, the first introduction. Um do you? It's been a while. Yeah, I, no, I I've slept since then, I guess. A little bit. Um but but Brett, you know, he's he's really become a great resource, not only for us and our businesses, but also for clients that have those needs. Um, we love the approach that Brett and his office take. Um, they are very high touch, high service. Uh, we appreciate that. And the, the thing we probably appreciate the most about Brett is just the way that he's able to interpret the, the legal into layman's terms, essentially. And walk a client through we uh, we have you know a history of clients that we've worked with in successful deals and deals that we think we've successfully um you know navigated uh whether they were ultimately moving forward or not um, we we ultimately both have the client's best interest in mind and so it's always great to have an advocate on the other side. Of the awesome. Table. Well, today we're going to be that. talking all yeah. things entity selection and setting your business up optimally from the beginning. But before we start that conversation, Brett, we're having all of our guests share the best piece of advice they've ever been given. So, and you prepped me for that a little bit. So I've been thinking about it. And I, I honestly, I think, so my dad used to tell me all the time, 
and it, it wasn't just one time. He would say it all the time. Make sure you work hard enough to keep options open. So that hit me really hard, like when I was 18, um, leaving for college. And I remember him saying, maybe you want to go to law school, maybe you don't, but you may change your mind. You may want to do something else. Just make sure you always work hard enough that you put yourself in a position where you're the one making the choices for yourself and they're not being made for you. And I, to me, that was just incredible advice. And I, frankly, I passed it on to both of my kids. I say it to them all the time. Like, just put yourself in a position where you're, you get to be the one who's making the choice here and it's not being made for you. Um, I, I will tell you, my dad gave me one more piece of advice that I just have to share because it's just fantastic. We passed by a Taco Bell one time. I was probably in high school, junior high, and we're, we're driving by a Taco Bell and there's a sign outside advertising 49 cent tacos. And my dad looks at me doesn't smile, just looks over at me and he goes, son, don't ever trust 49 cent beef. And that was just age advice. And I kept it. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. In college, I had my share of 49 cent tacos. But, um, and you and dealt with the consequences. You, you just knew what to expect. Yeah, yeah. You went into it knowing. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. My dad was like, I tried to tell you. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Budget-friendly beef. And I, I don't know that a Taco Bell taco is all beef. I think there's a lot of filler. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love yeah. <laughs> so did you know that you wanted to go into law at the age of 18? I, I really wanted to play second base for the Astros, but that BGO guy oh. just ran with that. So, yeah. you know, I had to go to law school. No, I was pretty sure. I, I, I knew from the time I was a kid that I wanted to um, be a lawyer, and I don't know why. I don't, I don't hmm. do movies, TV shows. I don't know what it was. And it's funny because I don't do any of the stuff you'd see on movies or TV shows. but it's, I always leaned hard into um, English and history and political science and economics and stuff like that. So that stuff was very interesting to me. When I, somehow when I was in high school, I ended up, and I'm not even sure how this happened, but I ended up writing advertising copy for Memorial City Mall that was geared towards high school kids. And it won some like national award with, I, I designed a school book cover. And it, by the way, this is not me bragging for the firm or anything like that. It just yeah. tells you a story. So when I went to, when I left for college, I kind of thought, hey, maybe I want to go into marketing, advertising, something like that. I love writing. And so all that kind of made sense to me. But I decided, oh, I don't know, but sometime in my late in my junior year, early in my senior year, that. I had said I always wanted to go to law school and that I needed to at least try because I didn't want to be 50 years old and regret it. And mm -hmm. so I'm 48 now and I'm glad I went. Uh, good. <laughs> just to be able to say I did it, right? Like I yeah. set it out as a goal and, and got to do it. So I was lucky. That's good. And, and one last question, you know, you were 18 when you, when you said, you know, you got that advice and we're out of the house. You have an 18 year old and a 22 year old. Do either of them want to go into law? No, um, the, the funniest part, I, I could see the 18-year-old one doing it, his personality and the things he's good at, the his skill set, he's a really good writer. Um, I could see him wanting to do it eventually one day, but right now, no. Um, the, the older son I took with me to a probate hearing when he was probably six or seven, and I asked the judge if I could bring him up with me, because probate hearings, you're just kind of reading in facts and stuff and so she was like sure and so she starts engaging him and the, the, the audience i mean the, the whole gallery's packed like it's packed courthouse and so everyone's listening as she's asking him questions 
And she asked me, you know, you're hanging out with your dad today? Yeah. You don't school? No, it's summertime. Yeah, okay. Um, so you want to be an attorney like your dad? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, just really loud. And the whole courtroom laughed. And he's, he's a number. He's actually an accountant. He's, okay. uh, he's taking finishing his last 30 hours now so that he can sit for the CPA and get ready for all that. So awesome. um, he's, he's definitely uh, detail-oriented and more numbers-oriented than his dad. So gotcha. <laughs> well, that's, I love that's that. Well, cool. thank you that's for awesome. sharing. So we'll um, flip over to choosing the right entity uh, for a business and really want to start. We know that so many business owners happen upon their business in different ways. Some kind of accidentally, uh, some overnight, others, they start something for years and years and then decide to turn it into um, a legitimate business. So kind of what are, what are the first steps or when should someone contact you for help with setting up their actual business? This is gonna sound like a candy answer, but honestly, as early as possible. So um, particularly if you're setting up a business with other people, you're going to want to make sure that you're addressing some very key foundational formation issues from the very, very beginning. Um, not only what type of entity you're actually selecting, but what happens to your entity in the event of the death or a disability of the key players. Uh, what, what restrictions do you want on who can be an owner? Um, all those things really need to be addressed up front from the very beginning. Um, and what I see a lot of times is that, that people don't address those questions up front and then they get busy and they leave them unaddressed as the business is, you know, growing. Um, and then a life event happens or, you know, maybe the business starts to fall apart and there isn't a clear roadmap of how those issues are going to get addressed. And that just that leads to all sorts of problems, not the least of which is expensive litigation. And um, yeah, it's, it's a mess when people and the other the other problem that you see in that same setting is you know, was there any plan at all? Was there any thought to, what if this person dies? What about the family of that person? Like, do they, you know, what's their state? Or are you now in business with your business partner's wife who isn't in the business and doesn't know it? Or are you, you know, where does that all stand? All that's um, it's stuff that you really need to be addressing up front. Yeah, that's good. Um, the one thing there, Brett, we always we we probably have a very similar answer. Is there ever a place in your mind for these self help legal services like LegalZoom or any of that? Uh, so so no, I mean th here's my my challenge with those. My it, I think they're I think some of them can be great. I, I we just have horror stories of the ones where they're not right, and I sure. can't undo the ones where they're not. The the ones where I see that are what I just said about a company agreement not being signed. And it's people will get to forming an LLC and they'll they'll do the formation and they'll put it on file with Secretary of State. And you get the little letter back and grass, you're formed, you know, you're an entity and they think they're done. Mm -hmm. But with an LLC, for instance, it's the company agreements, everything. And so they don't even have that mapped out at all. Um, we've also seen we had a horror story one time on the estate planning side, not in the corporate side, but in the estate planning side where a lady came into us and. Um, it was her, her husband's second marriage, but he had just passed away and she had, he had kids from a prior marriage who didn't like her very much because she wasn't mom. 
but it's okay, right? She's got the will and it leaves it all to her and it's going to be fine and all that. Uh, but the problem is he hit print on a will and there were no, there weren't even prompts for the guy to have witnesses to this will. So it wasn't a valid will at all. And now she finds out that she owns in common with these kids who don't like her very much, her home. And, you know, you're, it's just a nightmare. Here come the tears and the whole thing. So I, you know, I think there's a lot of guidance. I know you give it too about you're asking questions that they don't even know to ask, right? They don't, they, they've not, if, particularly if they've never formed a business before. Um, you're, you're prompting them with questions. As a society, we are all solving our problems with Google these days. That is kind of where we go. And part of that is just because it feels safer in that we, we are in control of what we're searching for. And we're in control of kind of the timeline of how quickly it gets done when we are doing it online. Um, so to give a little comfort of what it might look like to get professional help, what would it look like to, for someone to come in for their very first visit? Of course, you know, before COVID, almost every one of those would have been in person. And now you've just exacerbated the move toward video conference. So a lot of them will happen that way, but some will happen in the conference room. I will say this, if it's a single person entity, if it's a single person forming an entity on their own, we can probably knock that out over the phone pretty quickly. I, I'll get some information about, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to build. Um, and then, you know, I have a little questionnaire that's like one page and it's real short. Potential names of the entity, the address where the state can send you notices and where you can be served with process, you know, for if you're sued. Um, pretty easy stuff to answer. When you're forming business with another person or more than one person or even with another entity as an owner, um, that first meeting is going to generally involve everyone in the room together discussing what they want to accomplish. And I'm generally, like I just said, prodding them with questions that they probably aren't considering otherwise, um, but ones that should be addressed like as soon as possible. Uh, a lot of times in those settings where you have multiple owners, um, you know, it's you, one meeting doesn't get it done. You know, it's let's have a meeting. We'll discuss those. We'll get back together to discuss you know, hey, I've had time to think about this. We've had time to talk about it. This is what we want. But some of those questions that we would go through would be like, you know, does every does every owner get voting rights? Or is there is there a class of ownership here where, you know, it's going to be different from another class and maybe it doesn't have voting rights. It only has financial rights. Um, you know, what's the what's the breakdown of ownership? Who owns what percentage of the entity? How are the day to day decisions going to be made? Like, you know, entering contracts, hiring an attorney or a CPA, hiring employees. Um, but then also we have to address what about the really big decisions? What about, we call them, they're called fundamental business transactions in the law. And it's, you know, decision to, hey, we're going to sell all of our assets. That's a big deal. How are we going to decide what that looks like? Who makes those decisions? Or we're going to issue new ownership interest to someone that's outside of the original ownership group. Um, file bankruptcy, dissolve the company, whatever. We got to figure out, like, how are we going to decide those? And then, of course, like we mentioned before, there's also the whole restrictions on who can be an owner and what happens to an ownership interest when somebody dies or becomes disabled. Even that's another one that doesn't get addressed very often, I don't think. Um, and I also, in those meetings, I'll say this, I, I always tell people, <laughs> Marcus hears it probably all the time, I don't hold myself out as a tax advisor or a tax expert at all. And I will say, if you have a tax advisor, please have them at that meeting. And if you don't, can I make some introductions, right? Because at that that step, it's critical 
tax elections that need to be made, whatever. Like I want somebody speaking into that from the very beginning. So somebody doesn't come back and go, Brett, you never told us about tax issues. And, you know, so I want somebody speaking into that from the very beginning. Yeah. And we see it all the time. You, you just don't know what you don't know. And I think you and your team do a really good job of being um, educating, but then also staying silent so that those people in that room can figure out the answers to those questions. Because a lot of those questions you just brought up can be super awkward if they haven't been talked about ahead of time. And sure. we see, you know, whether it's family or a couple of buddies and they want to go start a business and they just think everything's okay. And then you start asking the really hard questions about voting rights and what happened. That, that's probably why most people don't do things the right way from the very beginning. They just want to go do business. Yeah. They just want to go start. I totally agree. It's, it's much less awkward, much easier just to dive in and do the business. And then we'll worry about that later, right? We'll worry about that yeah. later until that later ends up biting you because that's the issue you didn't address. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk through some of the choices of entity selection. Um, what makes them more optimal for one type of business or one type of person over the next and really just kind of we just want to kind of pick your brain and and steal some of your knowledge and share it you know with the world for free on this topic i figured yeah. the clock was running man. In the mail. no i'm joking so um so outside of the nonprofit world there are really three entity types in connection in connection with for-profit operations that i frequently see employed i'm not saying this is the whole universe i'm just saying these are the ones that we see the most. Um, so the first is the one that you hear about the most, the LLC, the limited liability company. It's the one I see used the most frequently, without a doubt. Um, it provides all the liability protection of a corporation, but it's typically easier to operate than a corporation. It's it's managed by either its owners, and in an LLC, the owners are called members. It's it's either managed by them or by managers, uh, which is tricky because you can also you can be an owner or member and also a manager, but alternatively, you could say we have a group of people, they're owners, and there's somebody else who's the manager or some other group who's the manager. Um, but your, your traditional sort of owner-operated business, that would typically be what we'd call a member-managed LLC because the owner itself, himself or herself or themselves would be operating the business. Um, the, the Liability protection is that, you know, the members and the owners are generally not liable for the debts or other liabilities of the LLC. The caveat being, of course, unless you guarantee those, you know, <laughs> or you sign the contract in your individual name instead of as member of XYZ LLC. Um, so LLCs are extremely flexible. They're, they're called creatures of contract because of what we talked about earlier about that company agreement, because that's the real meat and potatoes of an LLC. The company agreement spells out, you know, how the LLC is going to be managed, as well as any restrictions on who can be a member, how membership interests could be transferred, uh, what happens in the event of a death. For the most part, it, with the company agreement, if you can dream it, you can do it with respect to an LLC. So it's very flexible. It's just what what can, what can the parties agree to? Um, that that was uh, the, the LLC was. I want to say it was created. It was created in the early '90s, and and then the rest of the in, in Texas anyway, and then the rest of the country hopped on board sometime in the mid '90s, um, before I got out of law school in the end of '99, beginning of 2000. So 
they've been around for my entire career, but mm-hmm. uh, they're still somewhat new compared to other structures. Um, and, yeah. and Marcus, I didn't know if you had any thoughts at all on you know tax planning considerations or anything like that on behalf of the people who are forming an LLC. Yeah, no, I, I think we see it a lot too. And I don't know if you had a percentage to put on it, yeah. how many, like in your day to day or annual, how many are so LLCs? Funny. That's so funny you say that because I was talking to somebody today and I said, gosh, it's got to be nine out of 10 at least. Okay. I think it's more than that. I, I honestly, yeah. I, it is, it, it is very rare that I say it's very rare. It's rare that somebody who's just starting a traditional operation, you know, yep. here in Texas. And, and frankly, I'll, that's when I would defer to you. I'd be like, yeah. Marcus, is there a tax consideration that we should be doing this differently? Right. Because maybe yeah. there is. But but from a straight management and liability, it's just it tends to be the most common based off the needs of the people who I see the most. Yeah, no, that's really good. And, you know, we like to see LLCs. Um, You brought up a great point that it is more than just filing with the Secretary of State in Texas. You actually do have to have an operating agreement that, you know, drives all considerations legally for that entity. From a tax perspective, single member LLC could just be a disregarded entity in the form, you know, in the federal eyes uh, as far as taxation is concerned. You can elect to make that single member LLC a different tax structure, a corporation, ultimately an S corporation. If you have another member, you could become a partnership by default. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility in that. And, and we get asked that question a lot of times. It's what entity should I be? And from our perspective, federal tax wise, we can make any entity, any federal election. So um, it's just a few different forms that we have to submit yeah. And what you had mentioned, if, if it were me and I were in the position of that new business owner, especially if I've never managed any business, I would want to go with the most flexible, the easiest to manage because you had mentioned that briefly, but like a C corp, like a corporation, you've got different requirements to manage that. Yep. yep. That's in fact, that's what I was going to speak to next was, you know, the other, another entity is of course the traditional corporation. And those are, of course, owned by shareholders who elect a board of directors, and then the board of directors elects officers to run, you know, whatever, and then day-to-day operate. It can have layers and layers of governance. Um, and the idea is that they're all generally shielded from the debts and liabilities of the corporation, um, but obviously way more formality with a corporation. And, of course, that formality is what people are often seeking to avoid. In addition to, you know, the initial formation documents necessary to get with the Secretary of State, you have bylaws which describe, you know, how the corporation is going to be governed, and you have a shareholders agreement usually, which discusses all the rights and requirements of being a shareholder, and you know the formalities of, you know, when meetings are held, how notices, how meetings are noticed, how you're supposed mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're having a meeting. Well, there's a way to do that, right? It's spelled out, and all that is very strict and by the book with respect to LLCs. Like we said, we said, you know multiple layers of governance. And the concern is that if you don't comply with all those requirements, that you risk losing all of the liability protection that you formed the corporation for in the first place. And so, you know, really, I'd say, you know, before the advent of the LLCs in the 90s, if you were forming an entity, you were in all likelihood forming a corporation. Um, 
And I was I was just reviewing some corporate documents the other day for another file, and the they dated back to the 70s, and it was you know they're they're clunky. And when you're when you're talking about in this case, it was a family business, mm-hmm. and it's just the formality of that and all that today. If you were forming it, and I said it to the guy we were on the phone, I said, you know, I get you know your parents formed this in the 70s, and so it's corp. Have you considered converting it to an LLC because it's much easier and I promise you, if your parents had had access to an LLC and, you know, when they formed this corporation, they would have formed an LLC instead of a corporation. There wouldn't have been a, a, a doubt in my mind. It was, it's a small family-owned business, and it just makes all the sense in the world to have it converted into an LLC. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, corporations, I, just way more formality, of course. Yeah, and there's probably a place for corporations still Absolutely. in the market, correct? Absolutely. And, and there's, I'll say, you know, there are it, it, sometimes it depends on the funding you're seeking, right? So there are, you know, if you're trying to raise funding from, you know, big money on the East Coast, for instance, they're going to say, hey, it needs to be a corporation, and this is the state it needs to be in, and this is what we want it to see, and 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 all that. And it, I just I see that a lot from from those types of situations. Yeah. Um, but but if we're just talking about the average. Hey, I'm getting my business off the ground. Want to get started? You know, typically I'd say unless you have a compelling reason, I would probably avoid the formality of the LLC. Oh, excuse me, of the of the corporation. Of the corporation. The yeah. yeah. So we we've got LLC, we've got corporation, and then yeah. the, the third one. one yeah, yeah, the last one I was going to mention is just a limited partnership. So okay. those are really good for situations where a person or a group of people have a particular opportunity that they're trying to raise some funding for. Um, so those those persons then typically act as what's called the general partner for the limited partnership, and they're typically seeking um, funding from passive investors, and we'll call those people limited partners once they're brought in. Um, so you see the structure a lot like in real estate deals where there's an organizer that's managing a real estate development and then seeking funding from people who would be passive investors and wouldn't be making any decisions um, the general partners, because they're making the decisions, they are liable for the debts of the limited partnership. So typically those individuals would actually form an LLC to act as that general partner. Um, but each limited partner is only liable up to the amount they put in. Um, so they can lose what they invested, but typically not more unless they start to mess around and get involved in the decision making, in which case then they can have that set aside hey, you're not really acting like a limited partner. So it's really important that the key document in that, of course, is the, the partnership agreement and making sure that it makes it very, very clear that the limited partners, you don't get a say in any of this. We're not, you're not voting on any of that. Just, this is your, these are your roles as a limited partner. You're investing and that's that. Um, and that's, those are the big three that yeah. we come across. Yeah, no, it's good. The, uh, you mentioned a general partner a general partner always has to be a part of a limited partnership. Is that correct? Yeah. So the general the general partner in a in a limited partnership is the 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 one that's really doing the work. The right? active they're, participant. They're usually the one. They're active exactly, and they're usually the ones that are seeking the funding to begin with. I mean, I, I suppose that doesn't always have to be the case, but they usually are. Well, um, they're, yeah, they're usually they're the ones putting the deal together. They've got it. some liability beyond the other partners that are in the room, so to speak. Yep. And then even typically that general partner may be an entity. Is that correct? Like all that may Yeah, almost all the time. Um yeah. in my experience. I it would be 
um, typically an LLC that mm-hmm. somebody would set it up and say, so, you know, the general partner has this liability, but the general partner isn't me. It's the LLC that I own an interest in. Correct. And that's it. So it ends up being kind of a, a, a safer way to pull money in yeah. on the outside and then go down the route of operating. Yeah. Whenever I first came out of out of school and the Texas franchise tax laws were different oh, yeah. back then, and you, you would have people that had multiple entities and structured in different ways to to kind of avoid some franchise tax in some way. And then the state came through and I guess simplified it for a better yeah. term. Uh, yeah. And you still may have these former, these, these clients who have like all these random entities yeah. and you just have to figure out what to do with them. That's, that's actually, that's absolutely true. I was also going to say, as we were, as I was thinking about this ahead of time, that, you know, it's also important to say, like, if you're conducting business without an entity, then you're a sole proprietorship if you're doing it on your own and yeah. there's no liability protection for you. It's on you and any liabilities that's on you. Um, if you're doing it with another person, that's a partnership. And, you know, whether you intended to form a partnership or not, chances are you probably are if you're doing business with somebody else. And uh, and each partner is individually responsible for up to, you know, 100% of all the liability for the partnership itself. So if you're, if there's any desire or thought around liability protection at all, there needs to be an entity selected to help with that. Yeah. Well, we have had a recent uh, scenario in DBA where a client was set up as a corporation. We uh, made a recommendation or found some advantages for them to change from a C corporation to an S corporation. So would you guys kind of talk through what that might look like, what even an S corporation and a C corporation means um, for people who may not know? And, you know, what are maybe some of the benefits that could be seen if they're changing their entity selection after the fact? Well, I'll set you up, Brad, and ask you the question here, because in my mind, that S corporation election is a federal tax election. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times we'll do that because maybe they've been structured as a C corporation, which for various reasons that may not be the best fit. Um, right. You may, you may be subject to what would the term is double taxation where the corporation pays federal income tax at the corporate level. And then to get money out of the corporation into the pockets of the shareholders, you either have to declare a dividend, which is taxed at the personal level or pay salaries, which is taxed at both federal and um, Social Security and Medicare a lot of times. So that as corporation from a federal tax purpose kind of eliminates that double taxation. And it's just a pass through entity like a partnership um, and ends up on the personal tax return directly and avoids uh, that double taxation. But we do that a lot of times and we don't even we don't we don't participate in the, the legal discussion but is there anything if someone was electing to become an s corporation that they should do whenever it comes to their entity yeah so there's language in particularly with an llc there's some language in a company agreement that needs to be there and it, there's it, you know as you said it typically an llc gets taxed like a partnership um people will make an s election and then they'll have a company agreement that reads like it's being taxed like a partnership and I've not seen this personally, but it's my understanding that you can blow through an S election and the IRS can sort of disregard your S election. And then you have to deal with whatever the penalties are for all that. Um, 
just by the nature of what's in your company agreement. So, um, so I'm curious when, when somebody says, Hey, I've made an S election or we're making an S election. I'll say, let me take a look at your company agreement. Cause we need to make some things. One of the things you put in there is a restriction on transfer. You say, if, um, you know, you can transfer it to anybody unless it would cause the S election to be lost, in which case you can't do it. So it's a prohibited transfer to transfer ownership interest to somebody who simply by that person being an owner or that entity being an owner would somehow kill the S election. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit to that. I, I do find that people are, uh, they tend to be confused by the C Corp, S Corp language, because like you said, hey, it didn't matter to you what type of entity they formed with the state. You can make that federal election on their behalf as your tax advi- as their tax advisor. Um, and I'll, so I'll find that sometimes people go, oh, I need to be a C Corp or I need to, excuse me, I need to be an S Corp. And I'll say, okay, well, that's not the end. Well, no, it needs to be a corporation because my accountant said it needs to be an S Corp. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, we, let's talk to them about it. <laughs> so it's, I, they don't, I guess, you know, it's just literally, I think that's the nomenclature that gets in the way. Yeah. Cause, cause what we'll usually see, and this is definitely a typical scenario, especially in professional services, mm-hmm. they'll create an LLC. It'll be a disregarded entity for federal tax purposes, which just means they're reporting it on their personal tax return directly. It doesn't have a separate filing requirement. And then as they get revenue up, as that business grows, it may make sense tax wise to convert that entity make it an S corporation. So we have to file a couple of different forms. We have to actually elect to treat the LLC as a corporation and then treat that corporation as an S corporation. Like there's a two part process in that. Gotcha. Um, but in, in doing so it, you know, they avoid some of the self-employment tax or payroll taxes yeah. on the profit yeah. after paying themselves reasonable compensation. So there's administrative burden there from a payroll perspective, from a tax filing perspective. And now it sounds like there's also administrative kind of updating the the records on the legal side as well. They need yeah. to close that loop. Yep. Yeah. Because in, a, in an S corporation, especially if there's two partners in that, um, it, it's very rigid in the fact where if there's a dollar of profit that has to be alloc- it has to be split based on the ownership percentages of the S corporation versus a partnership or an LLC, right. it could, the profit could be allocated a ton of different ways. Absolutely. Um, and that does get more restrictive once you do elect that S corporation. Did you yeah, guys no, have any final question. thoughts yeah. or education that you wanted to share uh, on this topic? I do think, I mean, going back to the question of advice around these issues and stuff like that, it is the prompting of questions that and the experience of having seen problems and horror stories and stuff like that, that tends to lead to how you advise your clients, right? I'm sure it's the same with you guys. And so you, having had that experience and gone through that so many times and and dealt with stuff on the back end of it where things didn't work out the way people had hoped, um, I just, I think it's extremely valuable to have, you know, tax and legal advice when you're forming an entity Get it on the front end. It's a heck of a lot cheaper on the front end than paying the problems on the back end, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And um, you know, we we see um, the the relationship with Brett, um, especially when it comes to clients. Um, you should have a, a personal board of directors or a room of advisors that are helping you and set your setting your business up for success. And 
it is unfortunate that people don't place value on that somewhere along the line of the business. And probably that's very early on in the business because they're just immature in their business ownership. And I think after you've had a business and seen stuff and lived through some pain uh, or losing sleep at night, then you realize how important it has it is to have some of these protection things in place. Um, so I think you do have to have a team that guides the business throughout the, from the beginning to the end, essentially. Agreed. The, the other thing I was going to bring up, Brett, and it's, uh, you know, it, it comes up a lot around the holidays uh, in our in our circle. And I, I'm sure you have relatives like this, too. But they just say, you know, they'll say, hey, I need to start a business. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I just want to start a business. Should I yeah. go? You know, I don't know what I want to do, I, I, but I'm going to go start an LLC and then I'll be in business and then I can have write offs. And like, that's great. I mean, there's a ton of memes out there about write-offs and the whole Shit's Creek, uh, you know, gift that you can download. So, um, but tell, tell me about that. Like, just because you set up an entity doesn't necessarily mean you're in business. That's right. An entity is just a shell. And until, yeah. you know, it owns assets or has app operations or, you know, enters into agreements, it's just a shell and it's, it, what you put in it and and how you structure that that's important um but you're right just merely forming an entity <laughs> does not a business make so <laughs> um yeah I, I i completely agree i usually get questions from family where they ask me legal questions that i can't answer um you know how do you get out of a traffic ticket stuff like that and i you know so my family would go like your, your law degree is pretty worthless to us unless we want to like start or buy a business or sell a business I'm like pretty much pretty much you know but yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to give legal it's hard to give legal or tax advice to family um we try yeah. to avoid it at all costs yeah, yeah, i can imagine uh, brett what imagine. could someone expect yeah. as far as time that it would take since likely they're paying on an hourly uh, billing scale, what what kind of time frame should they expect? So, so the formation itself is quick. Like once I have those answers that go in what's called a certificate of formation or the articles of incorporation, just the initial formative document that gets filed with Secretary of State, like that's usually a, it's a one page or one and a half page filing and it is quick, we get it to the Secretary of State, and we usually have a response back saying, congratulations, your entity's been formed in like 24 to 48 hours. Um, at, that part is really quick. The backdrop, so with like a single member LLC, like we talked about earlier, where it's just one person forming an LLC, they're going to go, or another entity of, of some sort. In those situations, you know, that's, I can, we'll be done with that as soon as I can, you know, get them a company agreement for them to review. You know, and then all, so all that takes a short period of time. And we try to flat fee, like our firm does in particular, we try to flat fee um, corporate formations. Where that gets trickier is when we get into ones where we're talking with, you know, we got five people who are forming this company and they all have different roles and responsibilities. And, you know, just their ideas are different, their concepts are different. Then you're right. Then we're sitting down and it's meetings, like I mentioned earlier, maybe multiple meetings. Of, of going through information and, you know, making sure that they're answering these key questions that need to be answered from the very beginning. And that is as 
usually as quick as we can get everybody in a room together and then as quick as I can get people to think through everything and get back. You know, like it so the the drafting of the agreement at that point is not that shouldn't be an extensive period of time. But I do find that people, once you start presenting these questions about how they're gonna handle businesses with their business with somebody else, with their partners basically in this business, um, then they like to take lots of time to consider that. And yeah. as you can imagine, for good reason. And so um, I, so it, it, it really does, what a lawyer answer, it depends, right? But it, it does, it really does depend on the type of entity and then the personalities of the te- people behind it, how much experience they have in forming an entity before. They've already been through it before, then they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. I know we dealt with this before, they've seen it. Uh, but somebody for whom it's brand new, uh, that, yeah, I can definitely see the benefits longer. of yeah. when there's oh, multiple parties yeah. involved, having everybody in one room at the same time so that they're not contacting you multiple yeah. times back and forth, asking questions, going over scenarios. If this, then, Ooh, yeah. then what? Um, yeah, I definitely can see that that would help cut down on the right. time that it would take to set that up. In your experience, all factors the same. Would an LLC be faster and more effective to set up compared to a corporation or a limited partnership? Uh, Totally depends on the purpose. So um, definitely, I think faster, Faster. just because there's, it's just so much more fun. Really that you're, you're hitting that formation document that gets filed with the Texas secretary of state. You're hitting um, a company agreement. We're knocking that out. I, I always prepare an initial draft of resolutions that are, the, the, the members resolving the matters that are related to formation, like we've adopted this company agreement as of this date, you know, we've agreed that we formed this business on this date, we've chosen this as the registered agent, registered address. There's a little bit of belt and suspenders in that that I like because even though LLCs don't have the same requirements for corporate formalities that corporations do, it is, it's an extra I guess, you know, support for the idea that this really is its own entity and it's not moving money from my left pocket to my right pocket. So it should be respected as its own entity. And, um, and so, so to answer your question, yes, I think LLCs are typically faster in, in my experience in terms of being able to set up. Um, but as for effectiveness, I think it really depends on the nature of what it is they're doing, right? Because there are situations where that limited partnership model just makes so much sense, right? But having passive investors with, this guy knows what he's doing, he's running the, 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 the program here, we're all counting on him, um, we're just putting money up. That's, that's pretty good for a limited partnership. And there's some protections there for everybody that I think people are comfortable with throwing money in the pot, knowing that yeah. those protections are in place. Yeah, and then last question. I assume it's a lot less expensive and more cost effective to build the right legal structure from the beginning versus remodel your legal structure. In yeah, the- it, it is. It is. It, it's. It, yeah, no question. So, you know, we do. I, I do have people that get referred to me um, where somebody will say, hey, they've had this corporation for a while. They need to convert it into an LLC now. So a conversion is creation of new LLC, but the EIN stays the same, 
right, for the thing. So it's they keep their contracts, they assume all the liability. It's 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 the same entity legally with respect to what it owns, what's what it's responsible for, and all that sort of thing. But it's now being governed as an LLC instead of a corporation. Yes, that's more expensive than you had you just started as an LLC to begin with, and yeah. and and gotten all that up and going. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it. We do those though. I mean, I have to say, I've like conversions and, and converting um, from one state to another, converting a, a Delaware LLC into a Texas LLC. You know, it, there are good reasons why people want to do that. So yeah, and every situation is unique, and you have yes. to go based on the facts of that situation. So um, absolutely, and that's why it's also important to have the right team uh, yep. surrounding the Completely. client, the business, to be able to identify the issue enough, right? Thank you so much for this conversation. I know it's going to help lots of people. Um, If no one else, very, very close family members to me who would like to start a business, um, this will definitely be shared and listened by them. So thank you for that, uh, that they will now take an expert's advice over just our advice um, on kind of what they need to do and when they should do it. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. had a lot of fun. All All right, Brad. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. If you have thoughts, comments, or feedback you would like to share, please leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.